morning's scripture, the 12th chapter of Romans, the first verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we pray that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and minds this morning so that we could better understand your word. And Father, we pray that you sear these words into our lives, that they become the very reason we live, Father, and that we understand that we are yours and you are ours, and we are to live our lives accordingly. Father, it is my prayer that the words I speak be not of me, but be of your spirit and bring glory unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So this morning we start chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And chapter 12 is a beautiful transition in this book. It's transitioning from basically the first 11 chapters, and then it breaks off, and 12 through 16 we go an entirely different direction now. And so we're going to see a lot of what we need to do. We have a foundation, and the transition is going to be on us. And I'll warn you ahead of time, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for us to swallow. We've seen the Holy Spirit pull and test and test our minds and our ability to understand. Did you try again? No, Siri, that was not me. Test our ability to understand the minds of God through the first 11 chapters. Now, he's going to test our ability to do godly things, to live a godly life. When we look at all the major religions of the world, they all revolve around and deal with human actions, don't they? Something about the way people conduct themselves. And something's always required with respect to those human actions. Most religions tell us the same basic thing, that if you want to go to heaven or whatever they perceive that to be, you have to do certain things. By and large, it's live a good life. So if you want to reach this next state through all eternity, then you must live a good life. They don't give you a foundation for that. You just have to do it. There's no reasoning or justification behind why that's the case. As the Bible tells us, there's a way that seems right to man. And that is the way that seems right to man. We, give, we give, live a good life and at the end of it all we are rewarded through all eternity. But we as Christians know that's not the case, right? We know that no matter how hard we try and how good of a life we live, it will never justify our being able to enter the presence of a holy, perfectly holy and righteous God. That the best man that has ever lived outside of Christ cannot even come close to living a life worthy of God. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians that believe the former rather than the latter. But nonetheless, we know that that's not the case. So we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior knowing that he lived that perfect life 
And we are saved because of that faith and trust that we put in Christ because of the life that he lived. But we know it doesn't end there. We know that Christianity doesn't end with just believing that Jesus died for our sins. End of story. We're good to go. It's not over at that point in time. Do we just say that we have faith and then live a life the same as we did before we had that faith? We know that's not the case. That's not what the Bible tells us. That's not what the Bible and God requires from us. May we continue in sin so that grace may abound. Those were the words that we heard from Brother Paul back in the 5th and 6th chapters of Romans. May we have faith and continue to sin and and require God to give us more grace. And his answer was, may it never be. Because the hallmark of a true Christian does not live their lives in such a manner. Our actions are important. The way we live our lives as Christians are critical. But our actions flow from our faith. Our actions do not displace our faith. And I'll repeat it because the order is of utmost importance. Our actions or our good works flow from our faith. They don't replace our faith. If they replace our faith, then we're no different than any other religion in the world that requires good works. And there is no foundational basis for our eternal life. And we have to have a proper understanding of that order and the importance of that order. Paul has spent a great deal of time teaching us in these first 11 chapters of Romans. Teaching us simple things and teaching us grandiose ideas about God. And we have a foundation upon which now we are to build our actions throughout our lives. And that's what he's been doing. Others religion, other religions don't have that foundation. They don't have that root or trunk of the tree, so to speak. They're just on their own to do the right thing. Sort of like if any of your parents ever said, don't do as I do, do as I say. That's illogical. It makes no sense. We all want to know why. So if we are supposed to live our lives a certain way, why? Paul says, I've told you in the first 11 chapters of Romans. That's very unfair, Jeff. I see you. (laughs) Paul tells us in the first 11 chapters of Romans that we are to live our lives, or the reasoning behind why we are to live our lives a certain way. He gives us an understanding or foundation upon which to build our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at from 12 through 16. How to live our lives. This morning we're going to be looking a little bit at that foundation. Beginning with that first verse. We won't get through this entire first verse this morning. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, I appeal to you, I exhort you, I encourage you. He's talking to all the folks in Rome. 
He's exhorting or encouraging them. He's exhorting or encouraging us. And then there comes an extremely important word. Therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? It's a critical transition word, right? He's saying, I have taught you and wrote to you about a lot of things in these first 11 chapters. And because I've given all this information to you, therefore, I'm going to tell you how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. Does that save us? No, it doesn't. If we think that saves us, then we have not listened to the first 11 chapters, right? Because he's given us that foundation. So we know that no amount of things he tells us to do in 12 through 16 is going to save us because we've already learned that through in 1 through 11. So he's given us this beautiful transition here at the very beginning of chapter 12. He is transitioning from doctrine, very deep doctrine, to application. What this looks like. How this plays out in our lives. Everything that he's told us about, he's established that foundation, and now he's going to tell us what it looks like in reality. Remember all the way back in chapter 1 when he said, all are without excuse. All have turned away. No one is with excuse for denying or not knowing God or saying that they don't know of God. He tells us no one was righteous, no one is righteous, there's none that seek God, all have fallen away. He gives us a great deal of detail about who we are when we're born into this world as fallen human beings. That we all are fallen and we all are inclined to sin. As a matter of fact, that's all we can do. He told us that Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Thus, all men died, and women. And then, in the same manner, righteousness entered the world through one man, Christ. And thus, all who believe will live eternal life. We learn that salvation is by faith alone. Not of any type of works that we may or may not do. And yet we saw that there still exists, even after salvation, remnants of wickedness in ourselves. Oh, that wicked man that I am, who will set me free? And it is that wickedness that resides in us and continues in the remnant form within us that we must fight Every day with all of our being. And we fight that to the bitter end. And he gave us some wonderful encouragement. That no one can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth. Anything will be able to separate us from the love of God. And that he's working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and love him. And he assured us that we can count on the promises of God. 
He gave us those promises, those beautiful promises in chapter 8 and then in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He's like, you can take them to the bank because they're real and God's going to stand behind them. And he did that by showing us that he is either, A, he has kept them with respect to the Jews or he's going to keep them with respect to the Jews. So we as Gentiles can bank on those promises and him keeping those promises with respect to us. And he gave us a beautiful behind-the-scenes look at salvation and how incredibly complex it is and how God chooses and, and we believe and yet we're still responsible for our sin and just how we don't have the mind of God and how it, impossible it is for us to fully come to gra- grasp with that and and understand that. Those are just a few of the things that God, through Paul and his writing, taught us through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And so here we find ourselves in chapter 12. And it's Paul's desire for us to take everything that we've learned and now use it. It's like when you're in school, you you learn a lot of things in school. But it's not until you're out and you apply it that you understand, oh yeah, I remember why I was taught that. I remember why I was told that this is the way I'm supposed to do things. It all makes sense to me now. And I'm sure it is for a lot of us as we were going through the first 11 chapters of Romans. It was difficult. Now we're going to see it all make sense to us going forward. And we're going to see the application to our lives and how that works out. So those first 11 chapters serve as our foundations or the foundation of Christian living. And as I mentioned, other religions, they don't have that deep and rich theological foundation in order to base their day-to-day life upon. That foundation is merely get to heaven, do the best you can do. That's basically all there is to it. Conversely, we've been told that through faith we're going to heaven, that we're going to heaven, but Paul says, here's how we're supposed to live, not to get us to heaven, but here's how we're supposed to live because we're going to heaven. And so actually he summarizes these first 11 chapters in five words. I exhort you or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, and that will be the focus for the rest of this morning. Paul sums everything up in those five words, by the mercies of God, And oh, our God is a merciful God. And he doesn't stop with mentioning that here in chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises of the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his what? For his mercy. We glorify God for his mercy. 
As you've heard me say many times, our purpose in life is to make much of Jesus. That's it. That's what we're here for. That's what we're being saved for. That's why God turned to the Gentiles in order that we can make much of Jesus. Glorify His name for the mercy that He has shown unto us. That's what chapters 12 through 16 are all about. Making a big deal about Jesus Christ. Making a big deal about God and glorifying Him. Our lives should always revolve around the mercies of God. And we can just look at the number of mentions in this chapter, and we're going to do that in a few moments. The great Oscar Wilde quote was, Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Any of you ever heard that? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And there's a lot to that. There's also a lot to that with respect to God. If you want to glorify God in the greatest way that we're called to do, imitate Christ. If you want to make much of Jesus, act like Him. Love like Him. Show mercy like Him. Show kindness like Him. Show selflessness like Him. That's how we make much of Jesus is we imitate Him. We act like Him. When we have children that, that look like us, or act like us, for better or worse, it reflects on the Father, right? And they are put out there to demonstrate that they are our children by the way they look, and sometimes by the way they act. It's no different with God. He created us in His image. But so many times the actions, even of a Christian, do not reflect Christ. But if we truly want to make much of Him, if we truly want to glorify Him, we are to imitate Him. We are to do as He did and would have us do. Throughout this chapter 12, Paul's going to give us advice on what a child of God and a follower of Jesus looks like. And sometimes we're going to look at these scriptures and we're going to see ourselves in that mirror and we're going to think, we don't look like Jesus. We're just a a vague reflection passing. So as we do go through these, I want us to act ourselves, ask ourselves, because I ask myself the same thing. Do I look like Christ or do I look like the world? Because those are the two options that we have. But I want to show you some of the mentions in this 12th chapter. Verse 8. The one who does acts of mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. Now, I'm sure those of us have done acts of mercy and we've not done it with cheerfulness, right? We've done it begrudgingly or out of a sense of obligation or something along those lines. But Paul tells us, do it cheerfully. Do it with a cheerful heart. 
when we do, three, do things begrudgingly, we're not doing them out of love, but out of a sense of obligation, because I have to. Now, you may not always do it. Sometimes it's tough. All of these are tough. I'm going to warn you. These aren't easy. But that doesn't mean that we just walk away and say, I can't do it perfectly, so I'm not going to try. That's Paul's exhorting us, telling us that this is the way that we should live our lives. Let love be genuine, verse 9. What's the opposite of that? Let love be fake. Let love be fake. Don't be fake with your love. You might say, well, I just can't love someone because I'm supposed to. And yeah, I know, that's hard. But the key to that is prayer. Pray every day the person that you despise, God will change your heart to allow you to love them. Whether you want to or not, be sincere in that prayer. God can change your heart, the condition of your heart. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Help your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be selfless in that. Be willing to go out and help them no matter what and take care of their needs. Put their needs before our own needs or our own wants or desires, or whatever the case may be, in that moment. We just ratcheted up the game. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who say all kind of bad things to you and about you. The game just got real, folks, because this is real tough. This is really hard. When people persecute you or others, we need to try to understand that there's some hurt going on within them. Very seldom are those, or very few are those, that just do it for sport. They've got pain, they've got turmoil, they've got something going on in their life that's causing this lashing out. Our job is to recognize that pain, that suffering that they have to be going through, and to bless them, pray for them, ask God to help them. Verse 15 of this 12th chapter. Rejoice when those rejoice and weep with those who weep. Show empathy to everyone. Show empathy. Celebrate their successes. Don't be jealous of their successes. Celebrate their successes. And at the same time, mourn when they are mourning, when they just need you to be there, to weep with them, to cry with them. Share in their heartaches and share in their joys. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live in harmony. Don't stir up trouble. Don't stir up trouble. Be humble. Be poor in spirit. Never think that we are too good to associate with those that don't look like us, with those that don't smell like us, with those who don't act like us, and with those who don't necessarily think like us. Don't be wise in our own sight. Be humble. Humility. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Another difficult one is relatively straightforward. Same long line of reasoning, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, excuse me, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So, Our lives, our lives as Christians are rooted and grounded in the mercies of God. And all of these things that we've just read through and things that we'll study in the coming weeks are the ways in which God has dealt with us. When we've been hungry, He's given us food even while we were His enemies. When we were thirsty, even while we were His enemies, He gave us drink. Did he repay evil for evil? No. By the mercies of God, as Paul says, is how he dealt with us. These aren't easy. These aren't some ideals that we have in our mind that we whimsically say, yeah, we can do that. They're tough. They're hard. They require a lot from us. What I don't want us to do is just nod our heads in here on Sunday morning and say, yeah, I understand it, and then walk out and nothing happens on Monday. Paul didn't write these principles for us just to consider and walk away from. He wrote these principles for us to practice. He wrote this way of living a Christian life so it would be instinctual to all of us. I don't want us just to give lip service to them. We need to sear these in our hearts and minds. We need to make them a part of our lives. Mercy should be instinctual to us as Christians. Mercy should be instinctual to us as Christians. You say, what do you mean, instinctual? I mean, it should be something we do without thinking about it. 
sort of like breathing. Showing the mercy that we've just looked at should be second nature to each one of us. When someone says a hurtful thing to you, is it your nature to forgive them immediately and love them? I don't have to answer that because we all know the answer to that, right? But Paul says, no, I've spent 11 chapters telling you why that should not be the case. Our instinct should not be to fight back. Our instinct should not be to get even. After all, they did it to us. That's not what our instinct should be. Or to give them a piece of our mind. I have to work on it. I'll admit that. I have to make a conscious effort not to try to retaliate, especially with the tongue. Right? Mercy and humility are very difficult. You say something mean and hateful to me, my knee-jerk reaction is to bite back. I can't tell you the number of times that the Holy Spirit has caused me to swallow words. And I only give God glory to that. But it's not instinctual. Most of the time, I go into a situation knowing that somebody is going to say something that may be hurtful. And it is a conscious effort that I'm not going to bite back. I'm going to let them have their say, love them, show them the mercy of God that He's shown me. But I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be instinctual where I don't have to do that preparation beforehand. Because 90% of my life is reacting. That should be our goal. Is to, whenever we have, we're in those situations that we didn't anticipate being in, that we react with mercy and love and grace. Kindness. But it is tough. It is hard. It is easy to react with mercy and love and kindness to those who give us mercy and love and kindness. Not so much to those who don't. It's an entirely different story to react that way to those who wish bad things on us or say bad things to us. When we are griped at or complained at, it's easy to yell back. When we do that, it only serves to escalate the situation, folks. And it demonstrates that we're no different than unbelievers. When we have this desire that I'm not going to be treated like that, the world has that desire, right? It shows them that we're not any different from unbelievers. The easy thing for God to have done would be to destroy us all. Destroy us all. But he showed us mercy and love 
and kindness. And I am concerned with the amount of mercy and kindness that is not being displayed by Christians all over this morning. Remember that I just said our purpose is to make much of Jesus, reflecting his mercy, love, and kindness to everyone. And we can do that by showing others the same type of mercy, love, and kindness that God showed us. Pull up Facebook and let me know how that's working out. Right? Christians! Demonstrating no mercy, no love, no kindness. It is sad that we represent Christ in the manner that we do. I mean, the vileness that comes from the mouths of Christians is very upsetting. And I don't know if it's just my imagination, but it seems to be getting worse in my mind. It seems to me like that we're acting more like the world and less like Christ as time moves on. And if there's any time for us to be acting more like Christ and less like the world, it's now because he's a day closer to coming than he was yesterday. I pull up Steph's Facebook and all I see is a bunch of unbelievers arguing about senseless nonsense. I see quotes, fight, don't submit to authority. Rebel. If you show mercy, you're labeled as a sheep. Right? We're not to show mercy or compassion. Folks, mercy, showing mercy, requires way more strength than showing anger, than trying to get back. That's easy to do. Anybody can do that. As a matter of fact, we come in this world knowing how to fight and argue and complain. If you don't believe me, take your child's favorite toy. The problem is we never changed. We just become big kids. That's easy. You want to show true strength, be able to show restraint, show mercy. Show compassion. Show love. That takes way more strength than arguing and complaining and calling each other's names. Show me someone who is merciful to everyone and I will show you someone that is incredibly strong. After all, God is the image of mercy. He is the image of love. And he is the image of strength. We should strive to make mercy 
instinctual to ourselves, to each one. But in order to make it instinctual, we have to practice it. And it is just that, it's practice. It's practice every day. Knowing that someone's going to say something that rubs you the wrong way. And what's your reaction going to be? Is it going to be a reflection of Christ? Or is it going to be a reflection of the world? We're called to one of those two. And it's to be a reflection of Christ. And if we keep doing that, and we keep glorifying Christ... By acting like him, it will become instinctual in our lives. And that's what Paul is telling us, and that's what God wants us to do. Now, does that mean we're never to be upset? No. We saw Christ very upset. Upset over them making a store out of the temple, right? We saw him go in. Righteous indignation. We have been given the authority to do that. But unfortunately, our indignation isn't very righteous most of the time. So as I close, I don't want you to leave this message in this building this morning. I want you to take it with you. Take it with you. Make it a part of your life. Because if we don't make it a part of our life, the first time someone disagrees with you or treats you long, you're going to stand up and you're going to beat the desk and you're going to say, I have rights. Okay. Right? You're going to get all up in the air about your rights being violated and totally forget the purpose you breathe is to glorify Jesus Christ and to act like him. So if we spend as much time thinking about glorifying Christ as we would about somebody violating our rights, think of how different we would be as a church, as people of God. So I encourage you, take the time, show mercy, grace, love, compassion to everyone, especially those who don't show it to you. Because that's what we've been called to do. Love Christ with everything that we are and wear his grace to everyone you know. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, very difficult words that you give us here in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter. And Father, we just pray for your help, for your strength, for your courage. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would always be speaking to our hearts in those moments when we want to lash out, in those moments when we want to get even, when, in those moments whenever the flesh is telling us that we shouldn't be treated that way. Father, let us reflect your love and your mercy, your grace to everyone. Help us to practice that in our lives until it becomes instinctual, that it is the foundation that we live with every day father lord we know that we've been called to make much of you and we know that the best way to do that is to mimic you to mimic you in words and in deed we pray father that you give us the help and courage to do that for it's in christ's name we pray amen